What's up, independent agents? Are you driving your clients off to the carrier self-servicing platforms after the sale just to minimize your service demand? Stop doing that with the premier mobile and web agency solution, Glovebox. Now you can keep your clients in front of your agency at all times, all while delivering the carrier self-service experience that will minimize your service costs and absolutely wow your customers. On top of that, Glovebox will help you increase your cross-sales, referrals, and overall retention with an easy-to-use policyholder interface. Trust me, guys, we're using this at Portal Insurance, and this is literally happening. We are selling policies and servicing policies through our app. Schedule your demo with Glovebox today, and be sure to mention the Insurance Guys podcast for 20% off of your subscription for the life of your account. Guys, it's so cool that I can tell my clients, download the Portal app. Thanks, Glovebox. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner, and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Miami, Florida, Rivals five-star recruit, first-team All-American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Lewis Gazatua. How are you, Lewis? I'm doing great, Scott. Appreciate that. And, and I love that you put 6'3", because I'm 6'2 and change. When I had longer right. hair and I'd spike it up a little bit, definitely 6'3". So I, I, that, that is my baseball card, 6'3". I appreciate that. May I ask a question? Absolutely. Did you ever in college throw it out you know what i mean like like really oh, no, I did, I did. Go yeah 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 i i got i got some good pictures unfortunately as before that's back when myspace was kind of getting getting kind of right. popular but pre-social media so i got a lot of photos i got to dig up and I'll, and I'll put it out there but man my hair was i had so much hair unfortunately right uh father time caught up to me but i used to have so much hair that it cut it kind of thinking like oh, i didn't need it now i wish right. i had it back so <laughs> I think we all, I think I'm there too right now. My, I, I, my hair in the back is started to fade away. And, uh, I don't know. I've considered hair plugs. I'm not there yet, but I, I'll tell you this. I'm not too far away from just having to shave mine. That's, I mean, that's you, about yeah, where I'm, I'm at. Yeah, it's, it's the point of no return. I'm, I'm holding the line. I'm losing it. You know, it's kind of one of those things where there's, there's no turning back. So stay strong, man. Lewis, I have a question for you today. Please feel free to take some time to think about this before you answer. It's my question of the day for top five. For those of you that don't know, I, I call Lewis top five. Here is the question. What is an extraordinary life for you? You know what? It, it, it would be not being forced to take a meeting. Mm. It's time. It, it's being able to, to dictate time. I think that's one of those things where I look at back now, again, I just, I'm turning 40 next month and looking back and, and I just feel like the days go slow, the weeks go fast. And, you know, you're almost, a, you're almost like dictated or handcuffed to your schedule. And even though we're working remotely, you know, whatever, Zoom call or not, I just feel like being able to, to not take a meeting, right? That's kind of a, an extraordinary life for me where it, it's on my terms, right? On, on, on hundred percent of the time. So that is a fantastic answer, by the way. And it rolls into something I was telling my sister the other day. She had called me about some career advice and she got all the looks and the brains in the family. I got absolutely nothing. 
She was a four-year majorette at the University of Alabama. If you've ever watched an Alabama football game, the CBS camera crew cannot stay off the majorettes. They're always showing the majorettes. And then she graduates top of her class in law school and has been, you know, she's just done really well for herself. But we were talking, and she's asking me some career advice about some certain things she was looking at. And I said, you know, Cheryl, my definition of, of success is freedom. And, and that kind of rolls into what you just said about having the freedom to take that meeting or not take that meeting. I, I don't know that I clearly have a firm grasp on what an extraordinary life for me is. And maybe I'm living that now. Maybe I'm living it and I, I just don't know it. I mean, honestly, it's it's perspective. I think you can, and we can get really philosophical, but it could just be being in the present, right? Right, being in the moment. I mean, we talk about so much like the next level of consciousness and how to be present and, and all these different kind of things. I mean, it could could be defined in different ways. But right. if you ask me that question, first thing I thought about is, I think about extraordinary life, being in the moment with my family, and just doing it on my terms, right? right. Uh, being right. able to, and I think that's why we got into this business too, right? The, I think one of the, the the best things about being in the insurance business is as you grow your book, you're able to kind of dictate, you know, again, how you handle it. We all have different challenges and different mm-hmm. things, but we all we all we all deal with it in different ways. But being able to to dictate things on your own terms and, and control your own future. You know, that's kind of why I that's why we got into this. That's why I got into this. So next question for you. And I'm asking you these questions because I want our 250,000 insurance agents that are out there listening to this to ask themselves these same questions. Next question, write down one thing. We'll just say one thing for right now. For me, it's probably multiple things, but one thing that controls your life in a negative way. I would say expectations, Mm. right? Expectations of of others. I, I could say the biggest mistakes I've made in this business hasn't been, it's never intentional. We're all good people, right? But it's always trying to go above and beyond. It's always trying to do the right thing. I mean, I could tell you, you know, knock on wood, right? I haven't had any sort of ENO issues. I mean, we have our problems, right? Things happen. Sure. Uh, paper, sure. Uh, something wasn't signed, but it's always been the ser- the most issues I've ever had was me not giving kind of that bad news 30 days out, that non-renewal, but talking to three or four different companies, underwriters saying, oh, I think I have a solution right. and kind of living on Hope Island. I have a big house in Hope yeah. Island, man. I got, I mean, talk about that. That's uh, no taxes, you know, 5,000 square foot house, big boat, but that's where I live most of the time. I think that has to do with me always trying to live up to these expectations of others. And, it, and it's a detriment. It, it stresses me out the most. I mean, I, I'm a miserable person when I feel I, I let somebody down. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like I actually empathize for others who don't do that, who kind of just, you know, basically, you know, brush it off, right? Hey, I don't right. care. I mean, your policy lapsed, your premium went up 10%, 20%. I take things so personal yeah. that it it controls me. That's, you talk about control. I mean, that's, it's called it a fear, call it, I'm trying to articulate it in the best way possible, but really it's managing other people's expectations and it's never good enough. Do you know who is exactly like that? I mean, there could not be a more perfect other person that does this exact same thing. Clint Knorr in my agency, man, everything you just said is, is him to a T. Like if a client gets upset with him, he, he really, really, really takes it personally. Like it weighs on him for days and days. And, and then 
that person gets upset and then he tries even harder to make whatever it is they're upset about right. And it just, it's almost like this hamster wheel that he gets on. The other thing I was going to say about that is we have a hard and fast rule in our agency that, and you mentioned like waiting on some other markets to come back before you call. We have a hard and fast rule. If we're going to call you with bad news, we desperately want to try to call you with good news as well. And yeah. sometimes if you're waiting on that quote from that carrier and yet, and that it just keeps dragging out and out and out, you don't want to call the guy or girl and say, Hey, I got bad news, but I don't really have an answer for you right now. It's, it's a dilemma. I, mean, I grew up like it's almost instilled with my family and, you know, right. and the restaurant business and just like my father, he'd always saying, we don't have problems. Don't talk about the problem. Talk about the solution. Right. So I right. almost get myself in trouble with that type of mindset or something bad happens, I don't want to call you with the problem. Right? I want to, and you know, again, it's it's that that catch twenty two. And I understand the mindset as you get older, you kind of understand how you get yourself in trouble. Right. But man, right. we want to be solution oriented all the time. And you know, ninety nine percent is not good enough. It's got to be one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, I will say this about myself. You, I asked the question, and I didn't ask it of myself, which was, what controls you? I would say, for me, it's nicotine always needing to either smoke a cigarette or have a dip in my mouth all the time. That would be something that I desperately need to stop because number one, it would free up more of my time. I mean, there's probably an hour or two a day I'm doing that, that I'm wasting. Maybe not that much. The other thing I could see some, something that would control somebody that's kind of in a negative way is social media. Yep. I think, I think people, are blind for the most part to how much time a day they spend looking at this phone right here. I'm embarrassed when Apple tells me daily or weekly <laughs> how much time I'm like, oh, six hours. Was that good or bad? I, I, I can't could be a tell. doctor. I could be a doctor right now. And the time it took me over the past five years, to look at social media. Yeah, you know? no, I'm, I'm with you. And, and on the social side, obviously we're both big advocates of it. We're kind of all into it. I, I believe in it, but but as I, the more I do it, I, I think I'm going to throw a number out there. And if it matters, maybe 95, 90% of the people, let's give 10% a break, but 90% of the people don't, I don't think they use it in the correct fashion. Right. And, and what I mean by that is most people kind of navigate and they're looking at others. I think the, the, the intentionality of social media is to be social, is to connect with others. And, it, and it's like, that's the kind of platform where we all fall into a trap that we make it about ourselves. It's right. like me, 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 me. When this should be about um, how do I help others? How do I connect with others? You know, how do I congratulate others? It's it's one of those things where if we did that, our, you know, by the way, our mental health would be a lot better. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But I think we've lost kind of our, our, our way on, on that. And I just think most people don't do it with the with the correct mindset. And everybody says the same excuse. Oh, I don't own a business or I don't do this or, I, you know, it's not me or I'm, I'm too embarrassed. Well, you know, get them. Come. I mean, if you did it the right way, I mean, look, we connected through social. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I can say I can say proudly a lot. I've made so many connections on different platforms mm-hmm. using it with the right type of mindset of to connect with others. And if more people did that, I mean, I think it it, it would change this whole uh, social media. I mean, and the whole mind, the whole negative connotation of it. Yeah, I think. If you're on Twitter spending an hour having a Twitter fight about whether Urban Meyer should be fired or not, you're probably not 
using it the way that it was intended for it to be used when it started. Right. 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 The other part of that is putting yourself out there and your content to allow others to, as I always say, and I talked to Gary Vaynerchuk for a long time about this when I was with him up in New York, there's that part of being either a business owner or just a person when you're putting out enough content, people start feeling like they know you on a personal level. Could be in Denver, Colorado, and I've never met them before, but they feel like they know you on a personal level. So that to me is a great way to utilize social media, especially as an insurance agent, because you know, that's what you want. You want people to feel like they know you. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, and, and God bless anybody who's not in our business, right? Like if you, you know, I empathize for realtors. Yes. They get bigger commission checks, but you gotta be like the right place at the right time. I mean, we sell insurance. Everyone's a potential client on multiple levels on any level. I mean, I mean, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? Just show up to the game type deal. So yeah, if you're not taking advantage of the social, at least putting yourself out there, I mean, it's it is. Um, I mean, it's it's we can have the hours of conversation on that, and and I think most people were. I, I'll, I'll give anybody listen to this. If if you're most people give excuses of why not to do things, and again, it's always the same thing about anything in life, right? It's either I don't want to get uncomfortable, it's too expensive, or it's inconvenient. Well, guess what? That makes you successful, right? Like anybody who does anything successful, but you got to do one of those things. Right. Like right. this is one of them as well. Like, and, and video is a great platform. Most people don't want to expose themselves. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, so if you want to get better at social, you know, write a check to somebody and hold yeah. them accountable. Right. Give them 10 grand and say, if I don't do a hundred posts, I'll get you the money back. You're going to see how fast you're going to put yourself out there. Cause when it's free, it's kind of, you know, you don't have that extra, yeah. that extra push to take to the next level. That's right. So, Top five, we've got a we got a project today, and that's to help these 250,000 insurance agents out there. And we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of things we wanted to discuss today that some of which has never been brought up on this on this podcast. The first thing, and I know this is something that you're really passionate about, and it's something that I think a lot about and I have some thoughts on, but we talked before we got on the show today about that three to five year rut that I think every insurance agent in America, maybe it's three to seven year rut, but the, where you've, you've gone out, you've worked your ass off for three, four five years. Maybe you've built a pretty successful agency and now you find yourself either a you're tied down because you don't have enough help and you don't have enough people maybe helping you in your agency. So you're tied down with servicing your renewal book of business and you're finding it harder and harder to to write new business, or it could just be, and I've seen this in my own agency quite, quite frequently where you just get burned out and you're like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Right. I can't do this. Give me your thoughts on it. I love talking about this stuff because it's in anything, any angle I come at, it's personal experience. and, And I see it now. And I, the same conversation I have with some of our staff and some of the, the younger agents I'm trying to mentor, you know, when you get to this, I, I call that almost like a running on a treadmill, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like you, you build up, you know, getting through those first couple of years is probably the most difficult. You know, once you get that, that first renewal commission and you start to realize, okay, I'm actually starting to build. What happens is I think if you don't build enough good habits, as far as prospecting, you know, you kind of, you kind of let the foot off the gas. Like I, I think I've always realized you know, the little things you do, whether they, well, you think they actually antiquate as far as new business, the little things, the, the, the little messages, the networking, 
you know, whether you call it social or whether you call it just cold calling or whatever your, your tactic is, you realize that the slow months you have in your career is if you look back the last three months, you haven't been doing the little things. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is it, it kind of hits you in the face. Once you get to kind of year three, where now all of a sudden you're, you're starting to develop and make some money, you almost become a, um, and this, this word's proper now, but you almost become a slave to your renewal book. Right. Right. And you kind of, it, it's almost like no man's land. Why? Because you need to make sure you renew the accounts. Right. You're relying on that income now. Mm-hmm. Right. You, everyone knows every month those two, three accounts that you want to keep. Right. It, like right. I can tell you right now, March, April, June, which are my, you know, my uh, my anchor accounts that, you know, obviously could make or break that month. It's how do you kind of how do you how do you evolve from that and not kind of get stuck on that treadmill where you continue to grow your book? You know, I, I don't know. If there's a there's a right answer, but I think it's making yourself aware of what's happening. Mm-hmm. is kind of the first step to get out of that rut. Yeah. You know, some people might say, let me go hire other producers and feed them business. But does that create bad habits as well? Right. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where I think a lot of times agency owners get stuck into it and they kind of try to outsource that problem instead of kind of doing better internal controls to figure out ways to, to kind of fix that. Right. Or at least make that better to continue to help you kind of grow your book of business. So I'll add to that. It's very difficult if you're in a niche that you're really good at in terms of a, 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 an insurance agent that you write a lot of, but it's a complicated sometimes risk in that particular niche, the more complicated the niche is that you service or that you sell, the harder it is to find and develop and train and get somebody that can also could potentially work with your client base of a very complicated risk sometimes on the renewals. Because first and foremost, the person, maybe your contact that you wrote that account, that $100,000 account with, do they really want to work with John that you hired to be the renewal specialist? No, they, they don't. They don't. They, don't. It's, it's, they want to talk. I mean, to I, yeah, it's, it's it, right. Like you got that account by going in person you know, working your tail off for 90 days to get that account. Right. Now you're two or three, you kind of let the gas, you know, you fall off the gas and now they're saying, Hey, Scott, how you, now you forgot about me. You're too big right. time. You're making, you know, you get those comments Hey, yeah. you're making too much money. I guess my account's too small. Right. I mean, man, I, I, I mean, I used to, I mean, I, even personalized accounts, I used to go to people's homes. Mm. Like I would drive and sit there and do the whole dog and pony show for an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, again, nothing but a different kind of, you know, it's different kind of business, but I mean, and now they're calling you and your phone's ringing and you're, if you don't pick up the phone, you kind of feel bad. You say, Hey, you know, you get the comments of you got, you know, but how do you kind of like transition out from that? And can you trust, can you trust somebody to kind of pass the baton? It's, it's a dilemma we all go through. And and I don't know, there's one clear answer. I think there's multiple ways to kind of get out of it almost like trial and error, but it's, I think going, getting into it, if you're an agent, it's almost, it's almost should be something you think about when you're year two and three, yeah. before you get stuck on that treadmill, you almost want to start playing those seeds. Like why, why would it be bad to tell one of your insurers? Like, Hey, I'm growing my business. I'm looking for, you know, you're, thank you for being part of my success. I can't wait till I have to have an associate of mine help take care of you. Cause that means I can grow X, like almost like bring, but, but again, bring, bring your clients with you as you grow your book and your agency. I think if you can do that, and have that awareness, you kind of start playing that seed where they don't get disappointed. They re- they're going to be happy for you. Oh, that's great. Scott's, Scott's must be doing something else. I'm happy for this person to join Scott, you know? So 
I, I couldn't agree with you more. So so let me let me throw this out at you. So Chris Paradiso has four renewal specialists. That's all they do. I believe he has two on personal lines, two on commercial, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't I don't think you would mind me sharing that. Chris is someone who who truly believes that that that's where the magic happens. But here here's the issue with that. He also says that the most important person in your agency that has to be this unicorn, if you will, is, is that renewal specialist. Because if you think about it, they've got to have some sales acumen. They've got to know what they're doing and what they're talking about. And they need to be able to clearly explain things to the person they're talking to, the client that they're talking to. They've got to deliver some maybe bad news, but also mix that with good news with, hey, your insurance went up, but here's what we've done. That role in an insurance agency is, in my opinion, might be the hardest role if you had a great one, like a really, really good renewal specialist. That, that's, that's, a, that's a diamond in the rough to find that person. I think that's, if I had to be completely transparent, that's probably one of our, I don't want to use the word weaker um, aspects of our agency. It just becomes from a mindset. Sometimes you get so, you, you, like the onboarding process, right? right? How do you, this is this is a, a, a huge issue, not huge, but an issue where the experience for one of your clients, as far as onboarding, what's that like the first 12 months? Yeah. Then yeah. on the renewal term, what's that like on the second month? Is there a drop-off? Again, it's all about setting expectations with some of your clients. When once on the onboarding process, I Lewis came to the meeting, Lewis did this, he dealt with our marketing specialist, our team, now all of a sudden it transfers, you know, how do you keep that up? How do you keep, you know, and, and I agree with you. I think the, the renewal side, which is, I mean, that, that's where we make our money. That's how we do this. Exactly right? You, right. you got to keep it in house, but that goes back to the first point. If you're spending so much time on the renewals, how do you balance that? How do you balance the, the renewals to focus on the growth side of writing new business? I mean, retention strategies are huge. It, it's an issue we all deal with. I'm not sure I had the the exact answer. I could just kind of like, like, which is why I love talking about this stuff too, is who's doing what and how you're doing it, personalities and finding, di finding different ways of, of, of overcoming these small issues that we all deal with. So it's been an issue in our agency that we've been trying to crack the code on for one year. And we've talked to multiple, multiple, multiple agencies without any, there, there will never be a general consensus because the agency over here will beat their fist on the desk and say, you've got to do it this way. You can't do it any other way. Then the agency next to them will say, no, that's not how we do it. We do it this way. But let me throw another monkey wrench into this for you. So Billy Williams, my friend, Billy Williams, I believe he has over a hundred agencies under his umbrella. He did a three-year study and that study, he took a certain number of agencies and they called on every renewal. And then they took a certain number of agencies and they didn't call on any renewals. And at the end of that three years, the data that came back was that there was no difference between the retention ratio for the agencies that called on renewals versus the retention ratio of those that did not. Interesting. I, I think it could be, and again, it's all different. I think I think it could be even regional. It could be the type of business as well. Is it direct right. bill, agency bill? I mean, if things are kind of cruise control, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a that's ideal, right? Uh, right? Most people don't shop it. You get a direct bill. There's a one or two percent bump, but that's an in interesting interesting issue. I mean, what happens with us is when the market gets kind of, and, and I'm in South Florida, which is 
a hard market, right? Everything is surplus lines and excess. Um, you'll get such such fluctuations in certain type of accounts. I mean, it's a bloodbath. The last, the last, you know, the last 18 months, I, I don't think I've saved anybody, anybody money on a renewal. Right. Not, not one person. It's been, it's we've become health insurance. I feel like I've become a health insurance agent um, on the PNC side, which is great. What, I, you know what? We've got to change that mindset because it's funny. We're getting into the employee benefit space now as well. And it's one of those things where when you're selling health insurance, the, the clients are almost expecting an increase. It's almost how bad, right? right? right. We, we got to get that. We got to get, get that going on the, on the PNC side as well. So they can say, hey, 6% bump. You should yep. be happy, right? Yeah, should be happy about that. So what we're trying to do in our agency is design a renewal process that is very specific to the, the culture and what we do here at iProtect Insurance. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. One idea that I've had is to reach out to our clients midterm so that we're not waiting until that 30 days or 15 days. And now the whole conversation is just about price. It's just about, oh, your insurance went up. But reaching out more more in the vein of, hey, we're just calling you to tell you how much we appreciate you. And I just want to make sure we got all your information updated. If you're, if you're a commercial policyholder, I want to email you your schedule to make sure you look at this and make sure we got all your properties and things on here correctly. Uh, something like that, rather than just this constant hamster wheel of calling every client at the renewal date. And now the whole damn thing is nothing but why is my insurance going up or why, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to ask you, so I to interrupt you, but I want to ask you, I mean, do you think a lot of it matters? Do you think, I mean, how you get your business should be a direct kind of reflection of how your renewal strategy is? Because some of us, some of us tend to be, you know, outbound type, Agencies, some are inbound. Again, we tend to be more outbound. That's just the way we've done it. I think it, I think we get a little more wiggle room, to be honest with you, as far as renewals. Like we can, I can get away with more stuff. Completely right. honest, because right. it's it's not as transactional. I think sometimes on the inbound stuff, and and again, it's both work, right? But sometimes on the inbound, it just seems to be it's more the expectations are more transactional. I don't know if you have to be so hands-on as far as a renewal basis. So it's funny you bring that up. We had that conversation as kind of a starting point of who do you call? And I think where it starts is all the way back. And if we're playing the game Candyland, all the way back to the starting line of putting something in our management system that is a question regarding renewals at the policy sale day one. Do you want us to call you at, the, at your renewal? Uh, or do you, would you rather – and I think the question has to be something like, if your policy doesn't go up very much at all, less than 10%, less than five, would, do you want us to call you at your renewal or do you want us to email you at your renewal? And if the answer to that, and I've asked many, many, many people that question, and again, that's another question that gets lots of different answers. So some people are like, no. I don't. I don't want to hear from you at renewal. Uh, if uh, if if nothing's changed, if they or if if the policy really doesn't go up, some people are like, yes, call me every renewal. I want to go over my insurance. So 
it's this mixed bag, but I think it starts back at the beginning of the or at the end of the sales process to begin with to kind of find out from them. Okay. What is your expectation at renewal? What, when did you, are you one of these people that wants us to call you? Because here's the one thing that I've noticed because for many, many, many years before we went to the automated birthday call that we have now, a ringless voicemail, uh, I would call all of my clients on their birthday every day. I had like a list of 10, 20 oh, people great. I called. It's great. And, and to a person, when I call them almost, and I've done thousands and thousands of these phone calls, they would come out of the gate hot with what's wrong. Right. It's, it's that what's wrong. My insurance agent's calling me something's wrong mentality. So I think some people are kind of worried that, when you do call them, it's bad news on some it's, level. No, I mean, also salespeople, being insurance agents, you got to be almost like a utility player. You got to right. have different moves right. for everything. It's funny. You, you'll get that client. I, I, I use like, I like this line where, you know, someone will give me a hard time about the renewal. Hey, you only call me on renewal or, hey, what, what happened? Bad news. And for, my line is, hey, we didn't talk. Great news. Your house didn't burn down and your rate didn't go up. Right. It's not a bad thing if we didn't talk. So I kind of, kind of like pivot that way sometimes, but it's interesting how every people have, and it's all, it's all expectations. But I, I think going back to this, this aspect of like the three to five year, seven year mark, you know, what's, what's the, the best way of getting out of that renewal rut. And we talk about it now, there's no right answer. Like you need to keep those renewals because that's more profitable. You did the hard work up front, right? Now right. that's where you make your right. money. Now, I mean, I've even kicked around. Do you start to become, and again, every agency is different. Like do we start to evolve into an in-house type agent role to help keep the renewals. But then, you know, again, selfishly speaking, I didn't grow up that way. And, but does that create bad habits, mm. you know, to the in-house agents, right? Or, right. or you know, are, they, are the account managers, do you give them incentives um, as far as keeping accounts? But does, does that take away of the other side? I don't, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. There's it's it's almost like I keep going back and forth of, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that in, in my situation, the way we kind of grew up, the fact that I have two partners and we all kind of grew up together. I mean, we were so transparent with each other that, you know, there were accounts that I could just tell, you know, Fernando wasn't vibing as much. Right. It was just becoming clunky. I'd step in. I, go, I got this one. You know, I got your back. I mean, I empathize for agency owners who do this on their own. Yeah. I love my wife. I mean, we talk about everything all the time, but she doesn't know what it is to deal with an insured or a 30% increase and vice versa. So having like, Having that springboard and having kind of like that locker room mentality, we can balance things off has keep me sane for the last 15 years. So here's my, here's my Scott Howell final take on the renewal process. I believe, and I'm speaking to the 250,000 insurance agents, agents out there listening right now. I believe that every agency should have some some form of customized for their agency renewal process of some kind. And it needs to be customized for that agency and their culture and the way they do things. And, and then it also has to be determined by how many people you have in your agency, because if you're in there by yourself and you're relying on yourself to sell every day, you ain't going to be able to call them any renewals if you want to keep growing your agency. Right. But I do believe that each agency should have something, some kind of process in place for some type of renewals. But here's the great news, guys. If you're listening to this, I have been diligently working on this with my team for one year. 
one solid year, and we still have not come up with a firm, definitive process on how we're going to do this. Right now, we're just flying by the seat of our pants. I mean, we've even kicked around, too, about do you only shop around or address a certain percentage increase? Yeah. Is it 5%, right? Is it, what's the number? I mean, because the truth is, it's all about being, the time is valuable. And how do we get more efficient? Like, how do we know that we're shopping around or, or, or remarking the correct accounts? I mean, there's some clients that are perfectly happy. Like you mentioned too, Scott, everyone's different. They're okay with a 10% bump. It's right. through escrow. They're fine with it. Don't call me. Don't bother me. Right. Don't, you know, sometimes you try to play hero. So one of the things we do is, is um, as far as our agents goes, is they, they don't, unless they meet and they meet with their account management team on both personal commercial, we have two different departments to kind of split them up. Unless the agent or producer says, I want to remarket this account, our account team does not do it unless they get a call. Right. It's it's just the only way we've, we've been able to kind of manage. Because um, I kind of put that onus on, on, as an agent, as a producer, you should know your clients better right. than your account manager. It's just, it has to be. I mean, that's, you, you wrote it, um, you got commission tied to it. You should have a pulse on, hey, Miss Jones is a little difficult. She needs a call or an email the next 15 to 21 days, right? You know, and then Mr. Gonzalez, that guy's my best client. He's called me twice in, in 10 years. He's on cruise control. Actually, I'll make an argument. Now that I'm thinking about it, the guy that calls me two times in 10 years, I want to call that guy. I don't even right. I, he's my guy. I want right. to find out who he is so I can be proactive and call him because that is retention, not the yeah. one that calls me every renewal. So it's it's like the, it's an 80-20 rule. Like I yeah. get it, but I want to flip it of like who is more profitable, who's kind of like that long-term, less, less, um, less needs to be touched more, right? As far as uh an, an account. So my next question to you, and this goes out to the 250,000 agents out there today. What do you do if you're an insurance agent and you've been in the business, let's say five to seven years, maybe 10 years, five to 10 years, and you get burned out and you just don't want to do it anymore? I mean, we all have those days. We all have those days when you, you just think, my God, I don't know if I can do this again tomorrow. But I, I mean, Clint, Clint's battled with this. There, there have been times with Clinton or in my agency when we have discussions and I literally don't know whether or not he can continue doing it. And I'm going to tell you part of his problem, and it's a problem that I think a lot of agents have, is once you get into a niche in the commercial space and you become the expert in that niche, and that's all you're doing repetitively every single day. Same thing with personal lines every single day. Yeah. You do it in your sleep. After five, six, seven, ten years of dealing with the same type of people, the same type of risk over and over and over again, what do you do when you get if you ever get to that point where you're just like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That that's such a great point. You have know, you ever I, have I, you ever I, gotten I, to that point? Yeah, no, 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 I have. And I have a couple of, of my teammates that are in that mode. And the conversation I have is, and again, it's, it's it's harder, it's easier to say, give advice when you're not in the game, right? right? But then right. we go over the book and we realize, and you've been stagnant for the last two, three years. It's you're writing the same type of accounts. You have forgotten how to get uncomfortable mm. and, and do the things that like you could change it. Like if you're a transportation person, transportation, why not go after property? I mean, it's, it's, ins- we're, we're all, it's all the same thing, right? But sometimes right. Right. we forget how to kind of step out of our comfort zone. And, and that's the case because honestly, having the diversity of it, the different clients, the different pro- policy products, 
does break up that monotony of, oh my gosh, I'm doing this again, right? It's just, it's just, you just kind of go on cruise control, but you got to get out of your comfort zone and just do different stuff. And, and again, down here, South Florida is a little bit different in other places, but like, I've never been a big believer in getting in the niche type business. I just feel like it's kind of ripe for disruption, whether it's technology or whether market goes away. So I'm a big believer in, in diversifying your book, kind of building like a fire resistant type book of business, right? COVID happens. Your hospitality book sucks because everybody starts closing, you know, workers comp specialists, you know, their, their payrolls got cut in half. You lost some revenue. So diversifying your book, I think it's for me kind of protects you, number one, from market conditions, but it also breaks up that monotony of mm-hmm. getting uncomfortable and, and, and digging and testing yourself. And, you know, how do I get better? Let, let's start learning about cyber, right? Let's start getting right. into employer practice liability. What is that? You know, why not? You know, you know, people, people are scared of workers comp for what? It might be the easiest policy to sell. Yeah. in the country. Yeah. So I, I think pushing yourself to get uncomfortable can break that up. I have gone so far with Clint when we've had those times, he's not there right now, but those times where he was just completely burned out, uh, where I've gone so far as to say, why don't you take three months off? Wow. Just take three months off. I'll continue to pay you some form of salary. Uh, during that time, you know, you saved up some money with all the stuff you sold over the years, take a sabbatical and just walk away from it. Turn your cell phone off, change your number for three months, whatever you got to do. And then, and then make that decision as to whether you're going to stay or go. But I you, think, you know what, and, and, and to, uh, I empathize for you guys. And, and I've spoken to Clinton before as well. And, and you, you as well, Scott, like that transition, talk about what nationwide is doing, Right. Like on most of your book, like it's, you know, again, that's our job, right? We're we're on the front lines. We we get to get yelled at our customers, but a lot of a sudden, you know, accounts that you had the perfect market, good rate, protected, admitted placement. Now they're being, they're they're, they're cleaning their book out, right? Non-renewing accounts. Now you got to go ENS and now you got to offer a 30% renewal. And that's stressful. Like that, that, that's where, that's where this job becomes tough. Those are the tough times you got to kind of, kind of grind through. But I empathize for you guys and the, the stuff that you had to go through the last three years. Yeah, it's been it's been a challenge. And you bring up a great point. And I know a lot of independent agents that have done this before where they've got a lot of a niche book of business, uh, millions of dollars in premium. And one one morning after eating a bad piece of pizza, the carrier that they've had all this business with comes out and says, we don't want that anymore. So now, now you've got to spend an entire year just remarketing your your renewals really because and, and, and it's, 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 it's 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 damage control right because yeah. those accounts now are going to get out obviously with sticker shock like and how do you handle that too this yeah. is this is an interesting question too about when you're an agent and our goal right we want to get renewal terms 30 days 45 days out i don't know that i don't know that works anymore to our clients but now you got a non-renewal 30 days out it's a 30 percent increase Yep. Do you start to try to become a hero, right? Like we talked yep. about expectations yep. and doing the right thing. Do you start to try to find solutions? Because insureds don't understand that. So if you give them a 30% increase 30 days out, what are they going to do? They're not going to trust you on face value. Maybe your brother might, you know, your, your cousin, maybe your father, but they're going to shop you around. And that might be the best option. Right. And that, that's where we get into this industry. I mean, I again, I love it. The only frustration is, and, and I love being an independent agent, it's I feel like by doing these kind of things and having these conversations, we're better together because the, these care, the insurance cares in general, they're not our partners. Yeah. I'll tell, I tell them all the time, like you're not, you're my client, but my insured is not your client. 
doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, we're all here to make make money, right? You're gonna beat me up on my loss ratio. Uh -huh. Like you're gonna, so I'm supposed to write everything, and my loss ratio needs to be, you know, less than ten percent, or you're gonna cut my contract. How how am I supposed to do that in good faith? You tell me you're looking after our insured. You know, it's kind of this this huge dilemma, which is great that we all we're all in this together. I I mean, I I love it, but but then nationwide terminating your book, you know, basically because of the new CEO, whatever they did, right? Some bad underwriting from somebody else's decision. Now they're going to flip their book around, not renew you guys, and now you're going to go ENS. I mean, I'm surprised Clint has still has some hair left. It's yeah, it, it's so funny that every every insurance carrier in America is always always in the insurance cycle and you know you and i are in the hab space and we know we're in a hard hardened market right now but i don't know uh when the last time i've seen so many admitted carriers that are just walking away from the habitational property investor stuff as they are right now and you know i've been told uh, and I'm using nationwide as an example that for every $1 of premium in their HAB business book of business that they've got, they have to keep $4 in reserve. So I, I got a problem with that in general, right? I, I, I always think whenever carriers make these decisions, whether it's lowering commission, eliminating a line of business, I mean, it's, it's on their end. I mean, we're doing the upfront work, right? right. Us right. as agents, we're, we're the, we're on the front lines, doing the upfront underwriting, trying to get quality business. I mean, a lot of them don't handle claims well. Right. And the truth is, they're outsourcing it as well. Like, So they don't want to take on that cost of having... Back in the day, Scott, if you remember, when you had a nationwide adjuster, that experience was so much more seamless, right? It was the same person, carrier, yep. insured. And that's a partnership. Knew, you, knew, you knew the guy by his... In fact, uh, my nationwide property adjuster sent me a text message uh last month and uh and i'd already had this conversation with him been, been with nationwide as a staff adjuster for 20 30 years and the the message just said my last day is september 24th wow and uh as i was telling you i think i was venting to you on the phone the other day and I, i've vented to some other podcast podcast hosts like ryan hanley and jason cass uh bradley flowers i've never seen in the 13 years I've been in the insurance business, the claims process as horrible as it is right now. And, and the reason I know that is because in my agency, I'm the last line of defense. Yeah. When my claims manager runs a claim for somebody and, and, and submits it, I, she has strict instructions. When If the client gets to uh, level le fifth gear, if you will, and pissed offness, then that's time to, to, to pull the, you know, bring the goalie in Scott Howell and let him handle right. it. And so every week I've got two or three new claims from clients that are just irate about their claims experience. And I can't help, but think it's got something to do with this COVID virus. Adjusters are all working from home. They're sending out a roof inspector from Atlanta. He doesn't know anything about the contract. The homeowner's, you know, standing on their front porch, waiting on him to get there because they've got 30 questions. That guy has no answers. Well, you need to call your, your desk adjuster in Columbus, Ohio, or Des Moines, Iowa, or, you know, California, wherever the person's at. And it, dude, I, I don't, I've never seen, and, and maybe that's that, maybe that's a sales 
thing that maybe now more than ever, it's important to have an insurance agent that you can pick up the phone and call when you have problems with claims, because it seems almost like every claim we file is a problem. I agree with you. And I think this is before COVID, to be honest with you. I mean, it's never been a, a very seamless process, but and again, and, and, and let's just even, I'm not even talking about going to the exits and surplus lines world. Cause that's another, yeah. that, that, that's the success right there. Talk about fighting with people. That's another, but, but it's almost like a lot of these admitted carriers, they've almost gone to that model where they're going to third-party administrators, right? These third-party TPAs yep. regionally or, or locally. I mean, you saw the desk adjuster that works for nationwide, but they're hiring, you know, Ingle Martin in Palm beach to drive down. Well, they're not going to drive down. They're going to call somebody else. And it's just, like anything, like in your if someone's gonna call my office and it takes five people to answer the question, it's gonna be bad information, bad communication, an email's gonna get lost. I just think they they've lost this like it's almost like a mindset. I just feel like we're crunching numbers and we're not doing what we're supposed to do is paying fulfilling that promise, right? Of this insurance contract to pay a claim. That should be the first thing. It's almost like we've lost. That's my feeling on this side, and this is with a lot of cares. There are a few good ones out there that are changing it, but in, in a majority of them, they just kind of it's almost like we're looking at like we're an accounting, we're an accounting firm now. We're not an insurance company who's supposed to pay claims. Well, I, I've never seen it like this as bad as it's gotten. Uh, I had two call me yesterday. One, I had to take the phone and put it out here to my because they were yelling so loud, I, I couldn't have the phone up to my ear. and they all say the same thing. I'm sorry. It's not you. You're doing it. I know you're doing everything you can. You answer the phone. Every time I call you, you're, you know, you're copying me on all the emails that you're sending to the adjuster and to the company. It's not you. And then they go right back in the tirade again, but those sons of bitches have come out here and they told me and blah, 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 blah. It's, uh, it's just, it's just tough, man. It's tough. I mean, I, I, I've even, what we started doing too on the wholesale, say the surplus lines exercise is, and I'm not, I'm not blaming the adjusters. I just think the system, the way it's set up, it's like playing telephone. It just doesn't work. Um, some of these adjusters are overwhelmed and, right. and it's almost like the same way. It's almost like you're sending a submission to an underwriter and they got a hundred submissions on their desk, who they're going to work on first. The same thing's happening on the claim side. You know, the adjuster has a hundred files, right? So we, what we started doing is, you know, we're, we're, we actually ask a lot of our carriers, hey, I want to talk to your claims people. I just want to make sure as an agent, and, and they kind of freak out about that question too. Like, why would you answer that? Look, I, I want to know who your claims manager is. Can I send her an email or him an email? Can I talk to him? I want them to know, you know, I'm empathetic about their job, but if a claim comes from Jag Insurance Group, you know, hey, look, we're here, call me. I'll let you know everything about it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If they're wrong, you're wrong. But we started almost working claims people the same way we work underwriters. And that, that never happened 15 years ago. That wasn't even a question. Here's what I always think about. If your average homeowner premium is $2,000, I'm just throwing that number out there. Some states, it's a, like on the coast, it's probably at least that much. Up here, it's a little less. But let's just say it's, it's $2,000. Now, we know that the average person – Joe Public files one claim about every eight to ten years, so I'm just going to use ten years as the baseline here. But if you you're buying a piece of paper, that's all you're doing buying a piece of paper over a ten year period on homeowners, you've paid twenty thousand dollars. Okay, now let's say the average annual premium for a vehicle policy is say twenty five hundred bucks. If you got a family, couple 
you know, a couple cars, annual premium. You multiply that times 10, that's $25,000. There is a person right there that over a 10-year period hasn't had a claim, not one claim, has paid $45,000 for a piece of paper. The least I can do as an insurance agent is be the last line of defense when they finally do have that claim and it all goes south. And there's a pretty good chance it's going to. It's going to, but that's why we look at, I mean, this is a numbers game now. There's no more. It's again, and and I'm going to throw this out there. I bet you I'm probably right. Any CEO, CFO of any insurance company, I guarantee you they're an accountant or a finance major. Like, I don't even know that much about claims. Like, I I think claims in general has been pushed away as like, oh, we don't need that. That's an outsource. Don't call me. Right. Like, I just think it hasn't been what companies should be doing as far as a priority. Uh, Um, That's the feeling I get from most of the carriers. Not all of them. There are a few good ones, but most of them. Hey, I got a story for you. I call, I sit at my desk last Wednesday, four, uh, no, earlier than that, two o'clock. Buddy of mine from my hometown, Hamilton, Alabama, shout out to Tyler Bowen. Does not have his insurance with me. Not yet. He calls me. He says, Scott, I got a problem. I need your help. I said, okay, what do you need? And he starts going into this, this claim. Wife was a no fault claim. She wasn't her, wasn't her fault. Uh, she files the claim with Allstate. They talk her into filing it on her policy instead of the other drivers. Don't know why that happened. So I said, Tyler, I'm listening to all this. I said, I'm a man of action. So uh, give me the number, give me your claim number, and let's you and I call Allstate's auto claim representative that you've been dealing with, and let's just talk through it with him and see if we can get some answers and, and find out more about the problems that you're having. So as I call Allstate, and this rolls right back into what you just said, here's what I find out in that call. If you have an auto claim with Allstate now, and I'm just using them as an example, there's a lot of different carriers that are probably the same way or are moving to this. They now have an auto claim pool. So think about that. Instead of you having one adjuster, cell phone, email address, hey, I got some problems. Every time you have a question, let's say you've been talking to somebody for an hour and then you hang up. And you go, oh man, I forgot to ask him about this. You're all getting back, a new start you're over getting, again. You're nice. getting a new you're getting a new person on the phone. So here we go. We're gonna start all over again. It's an absolute nightmare. I mean, yeah. I, I just it's disappointing. I mean, it's but it's a nightmare that the system doesn't work. We've gotten and I get it. I'm not that's above my pay grade, but I just think and and, and look, and then you'll see all let's see. I'm not an all state agent, so I can say whatever I want about them, right? You know, but then what all state will do is you know, they'll go ahead and, and invest and buy insurance, right? So they're gonna they're gonna compete against their agents. And then about a year ago, they went back and they cut. Yeah. I think they went from 10 to 9% on renewal books of business for all state agents. Yeah, they did. Just, I mean, talk about the laziest decision, right? Oh, we're not being profitable. How about you spend, do a better job as far as paying claims, right? Instead of, and instead of taking the money out of the insurance agent's pocket. It's such a lazy move. Whenever I see companies cutting commission, it is, it's someone trying to cover their ass, well, right? As you know, what that, you know what that is, don't you? That's a board of directors that has to answer to Wall Street. No, I know. Well, watch this. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make ten percent more on the bottom line. Yeah. And it's just so disappointing, man. I, I, so that's why back to like, are you partners? Are we? Man, we're independent agents on this on the front lines on our own. It's almost like this band of brothers. Like, yeah. if we don't stick together, 
who's going to help us? Yeah, nobody. You know? Nobody. Nobody. Well, hey, last nobody. thing we want to talk about real briefly, and then we got to go. I, we'll spend five minutes on it, and then we'll let these agents go and let them go kick ass and take names today. Succession planning. We talked a little bit about it before we got on this podcast today. Guys, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen insurance agents that did not have succession planning and, and put in place. Maybe they're bumping 65, 70, 75, and one day they're walking to their car and they have a massive heart attack and die, and there's that business just starts walking. Within days, that business is just going to start walking out the door, not to mention the fact that some carriers may go, oh, my gosh, well, we need to protect these policies. There's no succession plan in place. So, hey, guy over here, guess what you just got? All of Scott Howell's book of business he did have, we got to put it somewhere to protect it. Right. What are your your thoughts? It's going to happen, right? Uh, and, And, again, I'm only going based on what I've seen the last 10 years of other agency owners and father time's going to creep up. Like it's just going to happen. The next 10 years is going to creep up. I, I, I actually think the better succession plan you have, the more valuable your agent's going to be, whether you want to sell or not. And, and I can go back and forth. Like we all, we're all in this because it's, it's, it's fun, right? It's a great time. I, I enjoy it. I mean, cash flow, cash flow is king. But what if you don't want to sell out, right? What if you don't want to have that event? Or if you do want to have that event, you can either keep it going as far as your notebook of business or, you know, selfishly speaking, if you want to get out of the business, it'll be easier to get out. So you have someone else to kind of hold the reins down. Right. So I, I think, I mean, I think it's even more important to have one and it's, and, it, and it's going to creep up. But like, those are conversations I'm having now, um, just anticipating the next 10 to 15 years. But well, I'm, I'm smack dab in the middle of bringing Clint on as a partner in the agency and giving him 10% of the agency. Uh, in fact, I've got a buy-sell agreement right here in my notebook that I'm still redlining right now that I've got to get back with uh, Chris Brand on some answers to some questions he had about valuations and things like that. But having a plan in place where, you know, as part of the buy-sell agreement, it actually talks about when Scott drops dead of a heart attack next week, what happens to the agency yeah. and and, yeah. and how much money goes to my spouse you know, over a, a period of time, uh, probably going to be 10 year, 10, five to 10 year period of time. So it, it, I just think it's very important because the agents that I know, and I, as I was telling you earlier, there's somebody today in some small town here in the United States of America that got up out of their desk to go to lunch. Maybe they've only got a couple million dollars in premium and one or two people working in the agency. The kids aren't are moved away and they're not really interested in it. They drop dead of a heart attack. What's going to happen to that book over the next month or two? Well, if it's in a small town and most people come to your funeral, if you don't have something in place and they know you're not there anymore and nobody and the door's locked and the black wreath's on the door, uh, I guess you you know what's going to start happening. That stuff's just yeah. going to start trickling out. And, and, and even if it's not about, even if it's the, the, the second level to that is if you if you care about your staff, Right. Like think about what's going to happen to your staff. You're representing how many families do you have that you're taking care of? If you go down, no plan. And then they got to be a fire sale. Yeah. They might be unemployed coming up. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's an uncomfortable conversation. You know, us, I have two partners, there's three in total. I mean, we do have a buy sell agreement. We bought life insurance on each other. You brought up a good point. We did travel together on a plane. Which, when we were <laughs> I, t- I told him I started to call him and go, Hey, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> 
Yeah, we were, we were on the plane together. I looked around and said, hey, what if, what if something? And honestly, it was a little bit uncomfortable for 45 minutes. What if this yeah. plane does go down? We're all on the same plane. Right. Who's going to take over? So that led to other conversations. And, you know, it's 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 going to happen. I just think the stronger your plan is and the more uncomfortable you get as far as maybe having those difficult conversations with a, with a potential partner or maybe a next in line succession plan, it does set you up for better success. I think you're more valuable as a company, too, if you ever want to walk away. Yeah, and and yeah. you're right. It, it, you pass away. What's going to happen to the not just your staff, but your kid, the kids that they have that you feel like are your kids almost because yeah. Yeah. you're, you know, they're part of your family, and uh, you really start thinking about all this. It's hard not to think about it sometimes, but when you really start thinking about it, it kind of scare, it kind of shakes you just a little bit. And you, if you don't have some plan in place. In the event something were to happen, hell, especially now with COVID nineteen, hell, you and I might catch it and be in the hospital next week. You just don't know. You just don't know. So anyway, that's that's my two cents. I, I'm probably not. I'm certainly not the expert on it, guys. If you do need the expert on it, his name is Chris Brand, Brand and Associates, B U R A N D. I throw his name out there because. In all circles that I have ever been in in the insurance industry, he is widely known as the best at succession planning, buy-sell agreements, value, book valuations, those kinds of things. I trust Chris, and that's why I'm throwing his name out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say his name if I didn't trust he was what he is. So if you do have questions, I mean, you can just Google search Brand and Associates, and he'll, they'll, they'll pull up for you. But Top five, I love you so much, and I can't wait for you to come up here to Huntsville soon. Um, I, and when I go up and visit, I'm bringing the whole team up there, man. We'll, come on. We'll, 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 it'll be an event. I, I appreciate you, your time. I, I, I love uh, talking shop. I think, you know, just what you do for, for our industry and, and other agents out there and, and have conversations. I, I talk to you, man. I talk to insurance forever. Yeah. We've got some – we've got some – 30,000 foot things we're working on and talking about right now that's just in the conversation stage that uh, we would have to do an entire podcast on if we can bring it to fruition. And I think it would pique a lot of people's interest. I'm with you too. Uh, yeah. Sorry Guys, tomorrow afternoon at two o'clock, I'll be doing a one hour podcast with my friend and great American, Mr. Bill Butler. And we are going to review the book by Jim Collins, Good to Great. It should be an outstanding episode. I look forward to spending time with Bill tomorrow. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. And as I end every episode, rewards come from action. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out in the big, bad world. Sell insurance. Make money for your wife, for your kids. For your parents that are struggling out there, I just put my uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law on my cell phone plan here at work. And the reason I did that is because, by God, I can. That's right. I can do it. So help them. Make money for your family. Write good business for the companies that you represent. And write good business for the agencies that you represent. I love you, Top 5. Thanks, Scott. Guys, you were listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. We thank you for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com. 
or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. We thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.